Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can get a copy of this program and other helpful documents. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Tim. You're listening to KABF Radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get all up in your business. For the next hour, my guest and I will be having a conversation of curiosity and storytelling. We'll be answering questions via phone and email, and I'm tweeting. We'll be giving advice to small business owners and to people who dream of owning a small business. You may be asking yourself, what makes this lady qualified to do this? And I'll tell you, experience. So in a minute, you can email, call, tweet, ask me anything. My experience is deep and wide, and my advice is free. Forty years ago, with just $400, I started Arkansas Flag and Banner. Since then, it's morphed into simply flagandbanner.com with sales nearing $4 million. That's worth saying again. I started Arkansas Flag and Banner with just $400, and today we have sales nearing $4 million. I started by selling flags door-to-door, then went to telemarketing, next mail order and catalog sales, and today we rely heavily on the Internet. In addition, over the last 40 years, I've navigated Flag and Banner through two recessions and two wars. When people find out I'm that woman who owns Arkansas Flag and Banner, they often say, oh, I've heard about you, and they begin asking me business advice. I amaze even myself with all the knowledge I've gained. If you call for advice from me or my guest, you will not be given textbook answers or theory, but you will be given candid advice from our real-world experience. So be prepared to hear the truth. It's not always easy to hear. For instance, you may not want to hear this. In business, there are very few overnight successes. Starting and owning a business takes persistence, perseverance, and patience. When I started Arkansas Flag and Banner, I supplemented my income by waitressing, all while I peddled my flags door to door. After nine years, did you hear me? Nine years of working a part-time job, the company began to grow and solely support me. My first hire was a bookkeeper. My first expansion was to begin the manufacturing of custom flags. The next decade ushered in the Desert Storm War. Flags were scarce, so a screen printing department was hurriedly built to meet consumer demands. In addition to sales and manufacturing, Flag and Banner now has a purchasing department, a shipping department, a technology department, a marketing department, call center, and retail store. And I spearheaded each of these developments. My experience is deep and wide, and my advice is free. I hope you'll take advantage of this unique opportunity by calling or emailing or tweeting me on today's show. Before we get started taking calls, I want to introduce the people at the table. We have our technician, Tim Bowen, who will be taking your calls and pushing the buttons. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. My guest today is Georgia. Georgia, how do you say your last name? Just Georgia. You're not going to make me say that Okay, I'll make you say it. Georgia Miarton. Oh. All right, my guest today is Georgia Miarton. Perfect. Thank you. The executive director of Our House, Little Rock's primary homeless shelter. In 2005, Georgia walked into Our House and began instantly to breathe new life into the organization and its grounds. Her efforts have not gone unnoticed. She has been recognized nationally as Southerner of the Year locally as the nonprofit executive of the year and under her guidance our house was named organization of the year in 2015. her unique approach to homelessness has garnered her national recognition as a model program so much so 
that other states come for tours of our house and learn firsthand from Georgia as she passionately shows them around and shares her knowledge, which I have done her tours, and they are passionate. Georgia's organizational skills and management styles has attracted investors from as national recognitions of W.K. Kellogg Foundation and many other state and national funders. From the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, she holds bachelor degrees in both English and political science. From the University of Ulster in the U.K., a master's degree in public affairs and political communications, a postgraduate diploma from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and was awarded a Fannie Mae Fellowship to attend Harvard's Senior Executive States and Local Government Program. Georgia was one of only 12 Americans awarded the George J. Mitchell Scholarship for graduate study on the island of Ireland. In addition, Georgia is a wife, and on my last count, a mother of three. You got it. <laughs> it is an honor and a privilege to welcome my friend, Georgia, to the table. Hey, Georgia. Hey, Carrie. You must be exhausted. I feel good. <laughs> oh, see how she is? All right, we've got a ton to talk about today. I want to talk about, I mean, there's your education. I mean, it's crazy. You're only 37 years old, and you've done so you much. You just aged me by a year. I'm 36, Carrie. Oh. Don't Sorry. say I'm 37 on the oh. radio. <laughs> She's 24 years old. Yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, uh, you've got a ton of education. I'm dying to hear about your Ireland experience. I've always wanted to ask you about that, and I never have. And then, of course, our house, which is, gosh, talk about a lot to talk about. But before we do, I want you to tell me what this uh, Island of Ireland graduate study was and what it did for you and what you learned. There was this amazing opportunity where I got to apply for the big three international scholarships. So the Rhodes, the Marshall, and the Mitchell. And to anyone listening who has kids in college or to young people who are thinking about what graduate school might look like for them, I really encourage people to think beyond the bounds of the United States because what an amazing and just mind-opening experience it is to go and get a graduate degree abroad. So there are these big three that um, colleges usually can only nominate one person to apply. And just my deepest gratitude to UALR who funded my undergraduate education through the Donaghy Scholars Program and really lifted me up as their nominee for all three of these opportunities. I got an automatic rejection letter from the Marshall Scholarship, which would have allowed me um, graduate school anywhere in the um, British Isles, so not Northern Ireland or not Southern Ireland. Um, it was just like, nope, sorry. But I made it into um, the running for the George Mitchell Scholarship and the Rhodes Scholarship, which obviously everyone's heard of the Rhodes Scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, I actually got all the way to the end of that process, was offered the Mitchell Scholarship and withdrew from the Rhodes Scholarship, kind of turned them down because here was this amazing chance to go and study anywhere on the island of Ireland, meaning the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland, which was my choice for um, the interest that it brought to me and that they were just five years out of the troubles, right? So the long, Tell us what those troubles yeah, are. Yeah, so the, just this long history of, of, conflict. Um, of conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics, um, between the people who supported being unified with England and the United Kingdom and those who wanted to unify with the Republic of Ireland. And so, um, you know, I took this opportunity, said, I want to go study 
in a school right outside of Belfast five years after the Peace Accords, which as an Arkansan, going there was just this incredible thing because Bill Clinton has an amazing reputation in Northern Ireland as the president who helped bring to bear the brokerage of the Peace Accords. So, you know, I got all this uh, just love on me because I was from Arkansas. Um, And you probably know Bill. And I do. I went to Girl Scouts with Chelsea. Right oh down the street my. from here. It's oh, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so it was just this amazing experience. Um, so you didn't actually work on the peace accord yourself. I, I you got did there not. afterwards. I got there five years after. Um, yeah, I just got to go and do my studies and do some do some policy work as well. So it really expanded your horizon. You're an intellect. You could have gone to school anywhere, and you chose to go to UALR right here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where you were raised. Why is that? Best decision I ever made um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, One of them, and the reason I can honestly say best decision is because it's where I met my husband, um, Dominic Miartin, and a big smile on your face because you know that we've been together now for 18 years since we were kids in college. Um, But beyond meeting the love of my life, it's a place where the people who are teaching from the front of the room are not graduate assistants. They are full faculty members. They are there because they love the students and they love sharing their knowledge and really working hands-on on projects with the students. It's not all about research for them. While UALR does amazing research and, and is embedded in the community helping do studies that relate back to our home community, at the end of the day, it's a place that loves and cares for its students. A non-traditional population, very. A, a very different group of people that were in my classes for sure. Um, yes, from executives from downtown, absolutely. like me, who right. went down there on lunch to go learn some new classes, and, yeah. and then all the way down to kids your age who they're meeting the love of their life. Right. So I was eight. eight I was eighteen. You know, mm-hmm. going to school with a with an international student from Slovakia who was also part of the Donaghy Scholars Program, and across the way was my mother getting her master's degree in social work. That's all at the exactly, same time. exactly. All at the same time. I love that. That's one thing I do love about UALR, which I think is now called UA of Little Rock. So I heard. I heard they've changed that. I heard that last night. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Georgia uh, all about our house, her vision, why they're so successful. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song, keeps Georgia on my mind. That was for you, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) She's grinning from ear to ear. Has anybody ever done that for you? Your husband. I've I've had some serenading in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. All right, let's talk about our house. It is the premier homeless shelter in probably Arkansas. And here's what's so cool. It's not just a shelter anymore. And I really want to say that, that while our roots were in being a place where the homeless could come for housing, we've grown over the years to now we are so much more than just shelter. Now we're a place where on any given day, 500 people come to us. And interestingly, only a quarter of those people actually live in our shelter or our housing programs. 
The rest of them are folks in the community who say, I want to come to our house because I'm on the brink of becoming homeless and they can help me get stabilized, get all of the services I need to stay out of the shelter system. We call those people near homeless. Near homeless. So these days what we're all about is moving upstream and just really helping people avoid homelessness by providing free programs for their kids. We have an amazing early learning center for homeless and near homeless children. We have an out of school time program that serves 90 kids every day after school, all summer long, 10 hours a day, 10 weeks of the summer. And then we have a career center and the career center is open to all of the homeless in our community, those who are willing and able to work. That's really the heart of our house folks who are willing and able to work. People who are in our homeless prevention program, which is called the Central Arkansas Family Stability Institute. And then just people from the community who say, you know what, I'm down here, I'm on, in the South on Main area, I'm on Roosevelt Road, I'm in South End. They can come out and get services from us to help them not only get a job, but be really successful in that job. So I've been to your new facility. You have jumped way on down in my interview. So we're going to jump all the way down. To jump the, on down. Jump on down here. You just <laughs> got a brand new facility. Yeah. And it is all about education. That's right. So I think yes. that's what you're talking about right now. Absolutely. So within the last three years, we have, um, because of the community support, been able to invest $6 million in educating people who are currently homeless, formerly homeless, and those who just want to become empowered to sustain themselves and their children, their own families, and but, never become homeless. Because once you become homeless, it's hard to get out of that cycle. Right. No so one, you're stopping right. them before that ever happens. Absolutely. And when I went to that facility, so $6 million you spent over the last three years. On two buildings. That's on right. two buildings. And when I went to that facility, there is a daycare. An early learning center, right? Mm -hmm. Do your children go there? They do. My three babies go there. And, and let me tell you, if it's okay, let me tell you a little bit about yeah, that. Because I, I don't to, want yeah. anyone listening to think that, you know, my kids just happen to go there because I work there. I had to put my kids on a waiting list because here we have this child development center for 65 kids. And the majority of slots are for people who are homeless or near homeless. But then we've got about a third of those slots that are open to the community, including staff members like me. And we have to pay, you know, we pay full price. And I know that my children are getting the best education. My three-year-old daughter is in a pre-K classroom where she has a teacher who is absolutely incredible. She is learning French and she's having those what? experiences. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. I know, you know, now I know Lelou is, is apparently the wolf. Um, so <laughs> she's learning French and she's learning right next to a little girl who's her best friend who lives in the shelter. What an experience. What and I know that, that, you know, that because I'm, because I'm paying for her to be there, that that's helping make that possible for these kids who live in the shelter or who are near homeless to go for free. So if no you're, if you the two thirds of the group, group there of the children there are, have homeless parents or, or their parents live in the shelter or both homeless or near homeless. So, you okay. know, we have this program where and they qualify for that. Yeah, they qualify. So for, for, you know, a year we work with families to help them avoid homelessness. What that looks like, Carrie, if uh -huh. I can just paint this picture for yes, you, please. These are people who just like so many of us have two or three kids, maybe, you know, one is in childcare, maybe work in two jobs, lost one of those jobs, can't pay utilities and so now is living in a home you know stable but without utilities and then winter comes around and the fact that they're without utilities is no longer an option 
for mom and her three kids. And so she calls the shelter and says, you know what, I really can't live here without utilities. I have one job, but I really can't work two jobs. I don't have childcare. This is the best I can do. And instead of saying, okay, we'll come into our shelter with your three children, we say, come on down and let us help you improve your financial management. Let us work with you to get your utilities turned back on. Let us provide early learning programming for your youngest child. Let's get those older kids into an after-school program so you don't have to come home from work at 2.30 to pick up your seven-year-old. We really work with all of the elements of that family situation so that they become stable, their utilities are turned back on, they don't lose their home, they don't get evicted, they never become homeless. That is five critical things that a single mother has to deal with. Leaving work to pick up their children. Right. And there goes your, your income. Uh, what was the other one? You said financial. Financial management. That's a big one. I just Budgeting. don't even know why we don't teach that in school. Right. I don't know why we right. don't teach financial management and paying your taxes. and Because mm-hmm. a lot of young people get in trouble with taxes and then are burdened with back taxes and with penal- compounded penalties and interest. Right. And they're in trouble. Absolutely. In their uh, mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And then what was the other one? Uh, oh, your utilities are turned off. Utilities. So you can't take showers. Right. And you don't look presentable. Right. There's no heat. Your kids are not safe in the evening because you're lighting candles to try to, you know, have light. I mean, there are all kinds of dangers that come from the experience of poverty. So if somebody's in trouble and living on the edge and is just about to fall off of the edge, how do they even know to find you? They they call us. They say Word to, of mouth. They, they say to their friend, and, and I was talking to a woman literally this morning who said I recommended our house to so many of my friends and she's never lived there. She's never been homeless. This is a mother with two children, a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. The person who told her about our house was her colleague at work and she was struggling. She had two jobs. Her sister passed away. That was a support to her. She was really struggling. She had to quit one of those jobs and that was it. Just quitting that one job, being down to one job rather than two put her on the brink of homelessness. But her colleague at work said, why don't you call our house? And she got hooked up with with our case management, with our homeless prevention program. And so you have case managers that are assigned to them. Right. And that's how you qualify whether they're trying to take advantage of the system or whether they're really in need. You know what? No one shows up at the doorsteps of a shelter and says, help me if they're trying to take advantage of the system. Isn't that interesting? That's just true. You know what? That's true. I cannot think of a single person who showed up trying to take advantage. And and maybe part of that is because of the approach of our house. We are all about working hard and, and working your way out of this situation. So there's no handouts. Uh. We, we, you know, people don't, we don't pay people's rent. When we say come and we will help stabilize you, there's no part where we say, here's a check for your rent and utilities. That was what I was going to ask you. Did you write her a check for no, those utilities? No, that's not what we do. No, what we do is we say, let's work with you because you are empowered with a little bit of support to solve this problem on your own. And we have these amazing, incredibly bright, incredibly hardworking people who come to us every single day, 500 people a day. Who you lift have 500 themselves, people that work for our house? Who come to our house. Oh, yeah. come to we our house. We have about 80 people on our team, believe it or not. It's, wow. big, it's a big organization these days. It really is. Yeah. Well, your mission statement is, our house empowers homeless and near homeless families and individuals to succeed in the workforce, in school, and in life through hard work, wise decision-making, and active participation in the community. I think wise decision-making sometimes is not taught from generation to generation. Right, right. And, you know, one thing that we always talk about as a team is that (laughs) this is not our mission statement just 
as it applies to our adult clients. We think about this with every one of our clients. We take what we call the two-generation approach, which means that when we think about how do we empower people to make wise decisions, we are having those conversations in our four-year-old pre-K classroom. How do we get four-year-olds to make wise decisions? And how do we get 14-year-olds over next door in our after-school program to make wise decisions? And how do we get their 40-year-old parents to make wise decisions, right? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, you know, so one of the things that we do in our um, early learning center is natural consequences. You know, you... you yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to eat your lunch and you get mad and you throw it out. Well, now you don't have lunch. You yeah. know, I mean, just teaching, okay, make a wise decision. You're four years old. To a 14-year-old, a wise decision is you're going to spend this time on your homework right now. And that's going to allow you to go do the enrichment programming that happens afterwards. And if you, you know. That's parenting. What? That's parenting. That's, that's parenting. parenting. But we also do that for our 40-year-olds. Right. Because their parents didn't parent them and say there's consequences. You can't just eat all day long. You have to sure. eat at specific sure. times. Because you have to do homework at specific times. Right. So, you know, in our shelter, there's 68 rules. And here's 68, 68 rules. rules. And here's a natural consequence. You violate a rule. You get written up just like at work. You're told what you did wrong and how to improve it. And you do that four times. And you know what the natural consequence is? You don't get to live at our house anymore. You're evicted. That bed opens up. You know, we are a shelter. You break the rule four times. Uh, one of You break one of the 68 rules four, four times. Four times. Any of those rules. Four times. Four write-ups, you're out. Gosh. Four write-ups in a month. management skills are good. See, Tim, you're in trouble. I'm going to start. Four write-ups and you're out. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's take a break. And then I want to come back and talk to Georgia. Georgia recognized that song on the first few beats. She went, I know that song. I bet you play that at, at your parties. We like that a little bit around our house. Yeah. I love that. So tell me what our house looked like when you took it over. I read a little bit about all this online. Well, I want to say, so okay. I get um, get credit for our house, and people say, wow, you founded a great organization. But our house is... Our house has been around for 29 years, and the person who founded it, the first executive director, obviously a board, a lot of folks were involved, but there was this amazing man named Joe Flaherty who is still around, yeah. um, who had retired. He was a master sergeant in the Air Force, and then he was an executive director in his retirement, and then another executive director founding our house when he was twice retired. So just this amazing person who, when I look at those 68 rules, Joe's name is written all over them. I mean, you know, I was 25 when I started and was not always as tough as I am today, but I stand on the shoulders of someone who knew that discipline 
is really what was going to get people ahead. And so, you know, I think that that was the, the base that I found our house in. Now, financially, we were not in good shape. Um, you know, we were at a point where, well, I'll tell you a story. Oh, good. Um, I went to my dentist. I'd been at our house for a few weeks and, um, you know, I was going to have a procedure done and she put me on gas and usually you laugh, I guess, when you're on gas, but I, I guess I started crying and she said, what's wrong, honey? She'd been my dentist <laughs> since I was like seven. And I said, well, we don't have any money for toilet paper. There's no toilet paper in the shelter. And then because I guess I, I'm just a born fundraiser, I said, would you can could you give us some of your toilet paper it would really be great if you would give us some of your toilet paper and she said honey i'll give you 50 dollars. you can go buy some toilet paper like in my mind i was really thinking i would take some toilet paper from my dental clinic back to the shelter i mean that's really the financial shape we were in so um we had sold a property on main street and we're supposed to be out it was our old shelter it was 40 beds and we're consolidating at our location on Roosevelt Road, 302 East Roosevelt Road. Um, we're building a building. Um, had a great board who'd led a capital campaign, but it had just kind of, we'd kind of run out of money. And so there we were with folks on Main Street with a building 90% of the way done, but not enough money to actually finish it. And Christmas was a coming. And. I started in September and my goal was to get the folks into the new shelter by Christmas time. There were 80 beds in the new shelter, 40 in the old shelter. We needed the extra space. And, um, let's see, September, October, November, December, you had four months. By the grace of God, we did it. How much money did you raise? We did it. So here was the, here was the miracle. And I always call this our Christmas miracle. Okay. I said we had about 10% left to do. So we raised some money, um, to get us there, but do you know how much it costs to equip a commercial kitchen? A no, lot of about a hundred, no about idea. 80, 80 to a hundred thousand dollars. It costs a lot of money to equip a full commercial licensed kitchen. And that's what we were doing. And this, um, amazing man walked in. He was doing the kitchen, um, the kitchen work for the Capitol hotel and the Capitol hotel donated their entire kitchen to us, their old kitchen, their old kitchen. You and got the old we Capitol Hotel we got kitchen. The, so the old Capitol Hotel kitchen is the shelter kitchen. We've replaced it. That was 10 years ago. So we've replaced a few things since then. But I bet that was still a pretty nice kitchen. It was amazing. Most, And you went from 40 beds to 80 beds. How many beds do you have today? About 120. And not still not enough. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's, it is true that we turn away about 200 people a month. And that's, that's terrible. But it has also been the impetus for us to start our homeless prevention programs. Oh. So some of those folks who are calling, um, if we had a bed, we might put them in a bed. But instead we say, hey, don't come in and grab a homeless bed. Come in today and meet with a case manager and get on our homeless prevention program. And through that, we're able to help prevent them from becoming homeless. Um, we are able to refer folks to other shelters. And we just have expanded in our services knowing that while we could continue to build shelter beds, that's not a real solution long-term. I think that's changed from the last time I went and did a tour at our house. Yeah. yeah I think you were trying to get more beds. I think you've moved more towards the near homeless, sounds like. We have. That seems smarter, too. We have, and, and a lot of it is just the realization that nobody wants to be in a shelter. Because you have, what percentage men do you think? Yeah, more so, women in it. Yeah, so in our housing, in our shelter, we have 40 beds for men and 40 beds for women and children. Oh. And then we also have 13 units of 
family housing. And that's mostly mothers and their kids, although we do have some married couples and some single fathers with their children. Um, but in our in the remainder of our programs, it's pretty balanced. I mean, our career center is men and women. It's also single people. I think a lot of times people think that we're just about families. So we serve single people. We have a re-entry program for people who What's are re-entering society from former incarceration. But you, oh, that's Yeah, nice. so that's kind of new within the last couple of years. And so needed. Absolutely. Because a lot of times, I don't know if this is true, but I see on TV that they just kind of set them on the side of the street and go, here's the money you had in your pocket, hope you have some family. What good. do those people do? Right. I mean, the experience can oftentimes be, good luck, you've served your time, but now you're going to serve it again because no one will hire you and no one will rent to you. So good luck and good luck and you wonder why our recidivism rates are what they are and so we want to be part of that solution as well and again this all stems from the heart of our house being about homeless people what we realized was what happens to those folks who can't get jobs who can't get into housing will they come into the shelter system so now we say hey we want to grab you before you come into the shelter system I love it. You're able to stay with your aunt for six months during that time. Let us help you find a felon-friendly job. You know, it's very similar to what I do at Arkansas Flag and Banner to young people. A lot of people come to me young to come to work, and right. they don't know they don't know to wear clean clothes to work. Right, right. They don't know to cover your food before you put it in the microwave. They don't know to go pay their t- traffic tickets so they don't end up in jail. Be proactive about a few financial and life skills and it'll just smooth things out for you that's right that's right it's all about coaching people toward the success that they want for themselves and their kids i love this i just i just i just love it and you keep the families together isn't that unusual it is um you know i think everyone wants to keep families together but we have a unique housing program in that we're able to provide for families no matter what that family looks like. And I should say, Carrie, we're a long-term program. Folks can live at our house for up to two years. And so for that mother and father who comes to us with um, four children, it's going to take them a while to get out of that situation of homelessness. Four children is a big expense. But you have a rule, don't you, that you don't have a job within a certain amount of time, you can't stay there. You can't just come and lay around at our house. That's right. People have to have full-time employment within two weeks of living at our house. When people tell me they cannot find a job, I say that's BS. There's always a job. may not be the job you want, which selling flags was not the job I wanted when I became a flag lady salesman in Dallas, Texas. I did not want to sell flags for a living. But you never know where it's going to lead. So your theory is within 10 days, you have a job, any job, you don't know where it's going to lead. Right. Within two weeks, you need to have a job, any job. It needs to be 32 hours a week or more. And, you know, we track all of these expectations in the form of outcomes. 72% of our adults find and maintain full-time jobs. 72%. These are people who have you know, all kinds of issues that have caused them to be homeless, whose address is a homeless shelter, and yet 72% of them are finding full-time jobs. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, Carrie, I will say credit to employers like you who give people a chance, no matter what their address, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background, thank you, because it's because of the 250 employers in central Arkansas like you that our clients are able to work their way out of homelessness. Thank you. 250, that's good. 250. 
and they also have rules you teach them finance so they have rules mm -hmm. about their bank account savings, savings is a critical account. component all of our clients go through our savings program here's another stat okay uh-huh 76% of our clients, 76% leave our house with money and savings. That's a nest egg. How many, how many people don't have money and savings? Me. And here's, <laughs> here are some folks who are literally leaving a homeless shelter with money in the bank, with money and savings, with that nest egg so that they never become homeless again. Tim, you need to go live at our house. She's going to teach you how to save money. I have a nice house. <laughs> I can still take the lessons, though. Thank you for getting that. I was about to say that. You can still come over. We're right down the street. What about teaching financial uh, financial literacy? Yeah. Literacy, financial literacy. I like that. What about teaching that to people? Because that is a big component to lots of people's issues. It is. And here's what I think is really beautiful about our house. We are able to get into the, the nitty-gritty of all of these different areas because we have this base of incredibly equipped volunteers. So yes, we have a team of 80 people and they're amazing. And that team includes employment coach AmeriCorps members. That team includes licensed clinical social workers. But you know who teaches our financial literacy classes? Professional financial advisors from the Literat community who are members of our volunteer base. We have 3,000 distinct volunteers who come and serve at our house each year. 3,000. And of those are these financial professionals who sit and do budgeting one-on-ones, who stand up in front of a class and do workshops. We have folks from the banking community who come into classes on opening a savings account, on credit repair. We have people from the restaurant industry who are now doing a job training program. We get folks certifications and save surf, I mean, serve safe. So all these different programs that we don't have to be the experts in because there are experts like you, Carrie. Uh -huh. I want you to come out. We be a volunteer. I've always said I want to come out and rock babies. I, but I think I, you have a I list of people that want to rock babies. I don't babies. want you to rock. We, That's you my know, favorite Can thing I just say do. this? Yes. I'll make you a deal. Okay. You can rock babies for like an hour. And then afterwards, I want you to go next door to the career center. And I want you to teach a soft skills class because that's the other thing we do. What does that mean, soft skills? So conflict resolution or how to give good customer service or how to be work appropriate when you're um, navigating a raise. All of those are soft skills. Oh, you know, I should do that. You should. I should do okay. that. Will you help me work so on you're the committed. curriculum. Oh, she's putting me on the spot on the radio. Yes, I will. Done. Thank you. You're welcome. But you'll have to have one of your people call my people. And, okay, uh, we'll do it. And, and, I, and someone has to help me with the curriculum so I don't just get up there and ramble. Or you that guy's going to call like you did a couple weeks ago and tell, say, tell that lady to quit talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to give a shout out to him. Thank you for telling me that because he was right. All right. I'm going to quit picking on you, Tim. Last week we tried to get him a date. Rich Cosgrove was, you know, trying to get you dates on the radio. That's right. He pointed out that I don't wear any uh, wedding rings. Yeah, and this week I'm trying to get him financial literacy skills. Mm. All right, this hour's flying by. This is going to be our last shout-out if anybody wants to call. And also, before we break, how if someone does want to take these classes, yes, do they pay because they don't meet the criteria? No. Everything we do in the Career Center is open to the community. What? There is no charge. We help people get their GED. We do financial empowerment. We do health and wellness, cooking classes, and we do career support. And it's all free. Yes. The class schedules are online. Ourhouseshelter.org. And they can see what, and just show up. Show up. Come out. 
just the most loving group of people. Every time I go out there for a tour, which I have done several times, I always am so inspired by everything. Nothing ever slows her down in a middle of Little Rock, our house in downtown Little Rock. All right, I'll quit. Uh, you are quoted, Georgia, saying we're less concerned with where you're coming from than where you're going. Having that expectation. No, wait, let's see. We're less concerned about where That's you're right. coming from than where you're going. Right. Having that expectation, it's not hard to treat people in the way where you see their heart. If you wash off all the baggage of the world, it's really easy to see all the good that everyone has inside of them. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Thanks. Someone uh, just emailed me and said, does our house rely strictly on donations or does the organization receive funding? I'm so glad someone asked that question. So our house is predominantly run on private donations. We have about a third of our funds that come from government sources that we have to compete for. This is not just kind of per head dollars, right? We're not billing Medicaid. Um, what I mean is we go out and compete for grants from the city of Little Rock for our after school and summer program. We compete for grants from HUD. Um, we compete nationally, but the majority about 70% of our funds come from fundraisers, from people, I want to tell you this, from people writing us $10 checks. I mean, people making memorial gifts in honor of their loved ones. People saying, you know what, I'm going to tithe some of my faith offering to an organization that really carries out my faith mission, right? I mean, people give for lots of different reasons, but it's those private dollars that keep our house afloat. You have some fabulous people that come down there and cook every week, too. Every single night of the year. There some is restaurant a, cooks. There is a different group out. So um, I was actually given a tour today, Carrie, and uh -huh. I looked at the calendar. And what I was so proud to say, I said, and I'm just doing this by memory, but I looked at the calendar for the week of the 19th. And I said, this night, was someone from out of town who didn't know the names of all the churches. But I was trying to get this across. I said, okay, so Sunday night, it is a African-American Baptist church who's buying the dinner, making the dinner, and serving it. The next night, it was a Catholic church. The next night, it was the Unitarian Universalists. The next night, it was a Presbyterian church. The next wow. night, it was an Episcopal church. Then it was the Temple B'nai Israel. I mean, what? literally, and then it was a company, right? And then it was a corporate, corporate uh, group. And so to see that we have that level of interdenominational, interfaith support, and companies, and civic groups, and families, I mean, that is... That is the community saying, collectively, we care. I love that collective group moving towards one yeah. human goal. It's just, it's not, it's just so gratifying. Absolutely. You have, I know U.S. Pizza is a big. A huge supporter. He fell in love. We did a story on Brave Magazine. Mm -hmm. He fell in love. He didn't even have children. He went out there Drew, and yeah. drew, he fell in love with the kids' summer program. That's right, that's right. And then I've been out there when Brave Restaurant has uh -huh, cooked dinner. Uh -huh. I mean, we've got like 
I'm, I think the chef at the Capitol Hotel's cooked before, hadn't he? <laughs> uh-huh. It's amazing. All I mean, you get a better meal out there than you can at my house. Uh, our house, my house? Cafe 42 is Ca- coming out. Oh, yeah, I love that. So what do you think is your secret to success, seriously? Is it your heart? A lot of people credit me with the success of our house, and I genuinely, Carrie, genuinely want to say we have this incredible team of people who – one by one have said, I want to sacrifice financial gain, or I want to take a risk and put my heart into something that that is sticky, that's hard, that's emotional, and I want to do it because I'm committed to lifting others up. And it's that team of people who makes it possible. And really, I want to say something about who's on that team because it's mm-hmm. it's kind of unique if you don't if you don't mind. And I'm going to plug that we have some openings, some job openings. Can I plug job openings you on your show? Do whatever you want, Miss so, Georgia. So here's our team. I said we have 80 people on our team. Included in those 80 people are 12 AmeriCorps members. These are people who are living at the poverty line, serving people in poverty. Many of them have college degrees. Some have master's degrees, and they're doing work that's meaningful for six months or for a year. To serve people in our organization another 12 to 15 are americorps vista members we have openings in there as well vista stands for volunteers in service to america this started by um by jfk and then johnson implemented it old program uh, the very first um, national service anti-poverty program so we have that at our house um and then you know and then we also have some traditional job jobs job openings right now and all that's on our website but really it's those people who are on our team that bring that heart and bring that passion every day, both to give and to get, to teach and to learn. You know, the millennials are awesome. They are really awesome. Some people complain about them because they're not um, as career-driven as some other. They're so service-driven. They're service-driven. Uh, when I, I have a couple of, I have three millennials, and when I went to their college parent meeting, the guy that got up there and talked about them said, we don't know why, we don't know if it's cyclical, we don't know if it's because of helicopter moms, we don't know what it is, but this generation is more like the greatest generation than mm. any generation we've ever seen come through college. So when I hear people complain about millennials, I just say, you guys, now I'm gonna say, you guys go down to our house, and then you see, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're a great group of people, they I are, think. They are, they really like, are. I really like the people that I hire today. So do you, is it good to give uh, money to people on the streets? I always wonder about that. I don't give money to people on the street. But I acknowledge that there are people whose lives include a time where they're living on the streets. And, and, and this and, is what I mean by that, Carrie, because okay. I think this is really important. It is so important to acknowledge our shared humanity, to not drive by and look away. To, you know, there I go to I go to a church that's on Colonel Glen. I go to Mosaic Church, and and um, there's a group of homeless people who live out there. You know, when I see them, they ask me for money, and I say, you know, what is your name? You know, Bob. Oh, Bob, I'm not gonna give you money. I don't keep money on me. Are you homeless? I always ask that question. Sometimes they're not homeless. No, you know, sometimes people say no. I said okay. Um, you know, so, sometimes they say yeah, I'm homeless. I'm struggling. I say well, you know, I work over at our house. Um, here's this setup. If you're interested, go on over there. I give information. I acknowledge the humanity. Sometimes that is received 
as a life raft would be received. And I want to tell you a story about when it was received that way. Last week, there was a homeless family who had a sign. It was a very pregnant woman, her husband, and their three children, all, all five and under. And they had a sign and were standing outside of the Target in the Midtown area. And a young man drove by and stopped and said, this is a travesty, gave them $10. That young man's mother is on our board of directors. He immediately picked up the phone and called his mom and said, Mom, there's a homeless family. This woman is pregnant. They've got kids. It's cold. They've got a sign. They're out there begging. Can you go help them? Today, that dad has two job interviews. The oldest five-year-old is in school. The other five-year-old and the three-year-old are in our child care program. The mom has already been to the hospital. She's already had, you know, been in and out of labor. That family, I hope I didn't break confidentiality because I described them in detail, but I didn't use their names. But what I want to say, that family has a home. That family is living in a housing program where they are safe because somebody stopped and listened. Didn't just hand them $10, but took action, did something. But not everybody can qualify for our house. Where do those people go? So we have this amazing network of other homeless serving agencies where we're able to refer people. When a person doesn't qualify, um, or where it, more often, it's not, it's not often that they just don't qualify. It's usually the case that, that we don't have a bed. We start calling down our list and making those connections, and we're going to help someone, regardless of if we have a bed or not. There's a bed for everybody? There is. Or help for everybody? There's help for everyone. There are not, uh, to say this frankly, there are not enough beds. If you count all the homeless people in central Arkansas and then count all the shelter beds, no, there are not enough shelter beds. But everybody can find a place to get help even if they've got mental health issues and there aren't some of them dangerous um so you wouldn't want to put those with the families of the young people you know carrie Uh in our in our community Mm -hmm. there are people who are not safe and we go out to eat at a restaurant and someone sitting at the table next to you may have been violent against a family member two hours before there are people in our community who are safe or not safe who are all around us and in a situation where you're living with other people, obviously t- you take safety precautions. Our shelter is supervised 24-7. We do sex offender checks. But under one roof, there are people who have felony records. There are people who have experienced domestic violence. There are people who are children all under one roof, just like in the real community. And our job is to keep all of those people safe. Well, very well said. And something I've never really thought of, never really thought about it. It's everywhere. So why would it be any different anywhere else? It's everywhere. And the big thing I always want people to remember is that when we talk about people who are homeless and we say, why are people homeless? Is it because they are drug addicts? Is it because they're alcoholics? Is it because they're mentally ill? Well, think about your family. In your family, are there people with alcohol addiction, with drug addiction, people who are experiencing health issues or maybe who experience mental health issues probably most of our families those those people are around but do they all become homeless no because they have a network of friends and family who are there in their toughest times the main thing that i see with people who are homeless is that they have the same experiences as the rest of us without the safety net without the family without the community to support them and that's what we at our house have become that's perfect that is all absolutely true and i told tim just just last week that if um, 
that after I had, wasn't that you, Tim, I said that to last week, that if it hadn't been for my, no, I don't think it was you, I think it was somebody, I think it was Curtis, I said that after I had my first child, mm -hmm. and my husband and I were separated, and I was lucky enough to have a mother and father that could start me over. Right. But if I hadn't, I don't know where we wouldn't be, me and my first daughter. I often think about that, and I think that's why I have a lot of empathy for people, because I have walked in those shoes, where if I hadn't had a safety net, right. I did make some bad decisions, right. and um, could don't know where I would have been today if mm -hmm. I hadn't had family. Mm -hmm. I love you, Georgia. Let's see what how much time we got. We've got a few minutes left. So uh, we talked about what happens to people that don't meet your criteria. Mm -hmm. We talked about giving people money on the street. Yeah. You say not necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, financial literacy, I think, is a really, really big part. It is. And you offer that openly to everybody. And, we do. And I'm going to come down there and start helping with jobs. You're going you're gonna to volunteer. Training. There's something else I wanted to uh, just talk about in terms of engagement, you know, while you're talking about volunteering, if that's okay. Sure. So we rely on these 3,000 people to volunteer, to serve meals, to rock babies, to, to come out and teach classes. But just like we have volunteers who give time, we also have this um, huge need for donations of items. And I think a lot of times people think about um, volunteering or giving money, and that's incredibly valuable. And a lot of times people will think, I, I can give clothes, which yes, that's great, but more and more, we have a need for furniture. We have a need for, you know, that twin bed that you had for your child who's now 37. Give it to us. You don't need your twin bed anymore. Um, you know, for that armoire, for that those kinds of furniture pieces or household items. Because with our homeless prevention program, with our expansion there, one of the things that we're finding is that we go into our family's homes and, you know, a, a family of five may all be sleeping on top of, coats because no one has beds or the family may be eating on the couch every night in front of the TV not because that's their choice but because they don't have a dining room table and so we're trying to get more people to think of us in terms of all of those donated items not just clothing and very excitingly we have one resale store which is a training site for our clients Snap. I know and Yesterday, we signed the lease on a second store, which is three times as big. I think I can say it publicly now in North Little Rock. So we will have a resale store in Little Rock and one in North Little Rock. Where's the one in Little Rock? As well. So the one in Little Rock is um, at Markham and Rodney Parham. If you're um, familiar with that area, if you know where Don's Pharmacy is, a lot of people know that it's got a green awning. Um, there's also a Red Lobster and a Kroger. Um, it's in that shopping center. And the store is called from our house to yours. So people can drop off items there. It's a donation center as well as a store. Oh. Drop off items. We do pickups. We have a truck. We have an amazing, amazing leader of the store, Justin Robinson, who's our manager, who had this vision to expand to North Little Rock. Um, and we'll have a have a location on JFK in just a few short months. You've just got a lot going on. Uh, are you going to adopt? One of your children is a foster child. One of them's adopted. Are you going to do another one? We have fostered three children and have had the um, privilege of adopting two of them. And our other daughter um, is with her father, and we are her godparents. He's a wonderful, wonderful dad to her. Just a beautiful success story. Um, and she's just doing great. And then we have a, have our youngest as well. So we have three. We're pretty full right now, um, but we're probably not done. Um, I would imagine. Being foster parents has been a life-changing 
incredibly beautiful privileged experience that we have had as a family don't you serve on their board i hope that everyone in this community fosters don't you serve on the foster care systems board no there's not a single board for the foster care system i've just had um, the chance to really work with our state's foster care system Um, they're so good about listening to foster parents Um, and the literally the director of dhs cindy gillespie has said georgia you're a foster parent tell us about your experience uh, you hear a lot of foster parent uh, nightmare stories, but you don't hear all the good ones. It's true. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, I am a leader of a nonprofit, and I recognize that there are times when we did not do things right. And what I want is to hear from our clients to get their feedback so we can fix it. And I think that those of us who've participated in being foster parents or being adoptive parents, there are incredibly difficult parts of that. It has not been... Um, putting in pie for us by any means it's not been all positive but at the end of the day we are grown people with the equipment and skills to deal with difficulty and the people on the other side are little children who've experienced trauma and neglect and so if we as adults say it's too hard it's too difficult the system's broken therefore I'm checking out that is wrong and unfair I love it. We're going to end on that. Anything? So if they want to contact, they want to go to your website, what's your website again? Ourhouseshelter.org. And if they want to drop off uh, donations too? They can do it at From Our House to Yours. Uh, anything else we want to tell them, Georgia, to, 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 for support? Carrie, thank you. You're so welcome. I love you. I love you. Uh, Georgia, I have a gift for you. I usually give a cigar, but for you, I'm giving a check to Our House. That is so wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. And you skewered me, put me on the spot. I'm now going to be a volunteer at our house. Love it. Next week, our guest is going to be the Small Business Development Center from UA of Little Rock. They're going to come out and tell us all about how to start a business and what they can do to support small businesses. And I know that they helped me put together my business plan for buying the Taborian Hall downtown. I would not have been able to do it without the Small Business Development Center. So they'll be here next week. They're great. Also, if you have a great entrepreneurial story you would like to share, I would love to hear from you. Send a brief bio and your contact info to questions at upyourbusiness.org and someone will be in touch. And finally, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with me. If you think this program has been about you, you're right, but it's also about me. Thank you for letting me fulfill my destiny. My hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next Friday at 2 p.m. on KABF Radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Want to hear today's program again or want someone else to benefit from it? Jot this down. Within 48 hours, the podcast will be available at upyourbusiness.org or at flagandbanner.com. Again, that's upyourbusiness.org. Click the tab labeled podcast. There you will find today's segment with links to resources that you heard discussed on today's program. Carrie's goal? To help you live the American dream.